words to her had been scathing when she'd ridden too close to one of his prize bulls and had almost gotten gored. That hadn't put her off, though. If anything, his cold, quiet, authoritative manner had attracted her, challenged her, long before she knew who he was. Despite his responsibilities at home, the lure of airplanes and battle had gotten to Cole. He'd learned to fly at a local barnstorming show and had become fascinated with this new mode of transportation. The sinking of the Lusitania had brought his fighting blood up and convinced him that America would inevitably be pulled into war. He'd kept up his practice at the airfield, even though his father's death had stopped him from joining the group of pilots in the French Escadrille Americaine, which became the exclusive Lafayette Escadrille. When America did enter the war in 1917, a neighboring rancher had taken responsibility for the ranch and womenfolk in his absence, keeping the land grabbers away with financial expertise. Meanwhile, Lacey and Katie and Ben and Marion had watched the newspapers with mounting horror, reading the posted casualty lists with stopped breath, with sinking fear. But Coleman seemed invincible. It wasn't until the year after the armistice, when he'd turned up back at the ranch after a few sparsely worded letters, an old flying buddy in tow, that they'd learned he'd been shot down by the Germans. He'd only written that he'd been wounded, not how but apparently it hadn't done him any lasting damage. He was the same taciturn, hard man he'd been before he'd gone to France. Well, not quite the same. Lacey treasured the precious few memories she had of Cole's tenderness, his warmth. He hadn't always been cold, especially not the day he'd left to go to war. There had been times when he was so human, so caring— now there was a coldness that was alien, a toughness that perhaps the war had created. Ben had been too young to fight. With Cole's return, he'd followed after his big brother with wide, dark eyes, all questions and pleas to hear about it. But Coleman wouldn't tell him a thing. So Ben hounded Jude Sheridan. Jude, whom Coleman called Turk, had been an ace pilot with twelve credited kills— he was an easy-going, too handsome man with a quick temper and a physique that kept young Katie awake nights sighing over him. Turk had filled Ben's ears with blood-curdling tales, until Coleman had gotten tired of it and stopped Turk from encouraging his young brother. That was about the same time that he'd had to stop Katie from tagging along after the tall blonde flyer who'd become his ranch foreman. Turk was good with horses, and he had a shocking reputation with women. But that was something Katie wasn't going to find out. Cole had informed her coldly. Turk was his friend, not a potential conquest, and Katie had better remember it. About that time, Ben had turned his attention to Lacey. It had been embarrassing because she was twenty-three and Ben only eighteen. Coleman teased him about it when he got wind of it, which only added to the frustration. One night, Ben lured Cole and Lacey to a line cabin and locked them in. He went home to bed and by the time they were discovered the next morning, they were hopelessly compromised. So Coleman did the expected thing and married her. But he resented her, ignored her, put a wall between them that all her efforts hadn't dented. He refused to let her close enough to give their marriage a chance. There had been an attraction between them for a long time, a purely physical one on his part, that had found its first expression the day he'd left for the war. Despite the promise of that long-ago embrace— he hadn't touched Lacey since he'd been home again, not until after the wedding. The tension between them had reached flashpoint after an argument in the barn. 
Cole had backed her up against the wall that rainy morning in the barn and had kissed her until her mouth was swollen and her body raging with unexpected passion. That night he'd come to her room and in the darkness had taken her. But it had been quick and painful, and she remembered the strength in his lean hands as he'd held her wrists beside her head, not even allowing her to touch him through the brief intimacy, while his hard mouth smothered her cries of pain. He'd left her immediately, white-faced, while she cried like a hurt child, and he hadn't touched her again. The next morning he'd acted as if nothing at all had happened. If anything, he was harder and colder than before. Lacey couldn't bear the thought of any more of his brutal passion and his indifference. She'd packed her bags and gone to San Antonio to be a companion to her great-aunt Lucy, great-uncle Horace's widow. Shortly thereafter, the gentle old lady had died. Now Lacey had the house and plenty of money that she hadn't even expected to inherit.